Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. So I am very happy to be here with Alia Dagman. Absolutely. I am very, very happy to be here with Kim Adams. Alia is a PhD candidate in the Department of English at New York University. And today we are talking about mimesis. So, Alia, what the heck is mimesis? At a very basic level, mimesis refers to copying, imitation. At one level, it is just different modes of copying or imitation resemblance. I think what I like about that term is just how capacious it is. And I think you could substitute in different spheres or modes, different words like translation, if you're talking about different languages, adaptation, if you're talking between media forms, emulation, if you're talking about social behavior. So it's like this chimeric concept that I think you can apply to just about anything. Okay. If I was a 10-year-old listening to this podcast. How would you explain mimesis to me? I would say everything that you are learning how to do from adults is through mimesis. You are copying their behavior. You are copying the way they speak, the way they move, the way they connect with other human beings. And the way you're doing that, that act of copying and learning how to perfect it is mimesis. It is how we learn to do anything. You're suggesting that there's this intimate connection between producing knowledge and mm -hmm. mimesis, copying, mm -hmm. recombining, translating are all forms of learning. Mm -hmm. That might actually be a really good point to ask the second question. How do I use mimesis? Excellent question. Depends on what you want to use it for. Okay. I think one of the very exciting things about mimesis is it has both constructive and destructive potential. And it oscillates between similarity on the one hand and difference. I'm going to use an example of a very 21st century phenomenon where I see mimesis happening is just like reposting and retweeting things on social media. If it was something like wear masks, wash your hands, and you're copying that through being part of a network and spreading that message. You're using mimesis in the sense to inform people about something really important. But on the other hand, if you retweeted things like, this is just a hoax, and this is an assault on individual liberty, and that gets about 10,000 likes and like 500 retweets, you're using essentially the same thing for a very different end. So in and of itself, mimesis can be used in a variety of ways. It depends on, again, where the concept is being applied. 
who wants to apply it to what end, which is why in the Republic, Plato is like really anxious about mimesis. You can trace some of that anxiety to raising good citizens and having an ideal city where there is order and structure. So he's really worried about copying the wrong stuff and that being passed on to children. Initially, when I read The Republic, I was really irritated with that kind of thing because he's like, no, you can't copy women uh, or poets or mad folk. But I also now living in an environment of conspiracy theories and fake news, you see the currency that that kind of anxiety can have. It is completely natural to be worried about people considering try ingesting disinfectant and see what happens. That was the most terrifying thing. That was the like low point of the pandemic for me when that news story came out about the people who ate fish tank cleaner. I was like, oh my God, the world is ending. I can't (laughs) take this shit. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, okay, yeah, you know, those copies are absolutely like bad and scary and frightening. Yeah, but what you said about Plato not wanting to copy women and poets and mad people, like those are of course the people we love to copy, right? Those are the people we want. So it really becomes about how you draw the line between good copies and bad copies. Yeah, and sometimes the bad copy will do the good work. Hmm. In some accounts of mimesis or mimicry, the bad copy is the copy that challenges, the ones that you know resists or disrupts power, because mimesis can also be a form of regulation. If you think of it in colonial contexts, to copy the colonizer is to play into that structure of power, but to be a bad copy, to not emulate or to emulate badly, resist the kind of discipline and control that the colonizer is trying to set up. Again, good and bad <laughs> are become like really slippery terms. It depends on what field that's operating in. So how will mimesis save the world? Mimesis, I think, can save the world if it is used towards making good copies or bad copies that do good work. Again, I'll take a really contemporary example, something like internet memes. I saw this meme on a John Oliver episode about how Xi Jinping really hates being compared to Winnie the Pooh. And John Oliver does this whole bit about how we should push that image because that is irritating an authoritarian leader. These memes are a really powerful way to get at these powerful figures. So making bad copies, things like deep fakes that spread virally on the internet, you know, some of them are terrible, you know, they're exercises in trolling and shaming, they can ruin people's lives, but also when directed at people in really entrenched positions of power, I think can can really deflate the kind of hold they have over people because it shows them to be vulnerable and it shows the structures that they represent to be fragile and, you know, changeable, malleable. So I think Pymesis can save the world if we make sure that the good copies or the bad copies doing the good work are ahead of the bad copies or the good copies doing the bad work. I have a question. Uh I think I know how you know what the good work is. Mm -hmm. I'm not like 100% sure. I feel like I got that one on a like feeling level. But Mm -hmm. how do you know which are the good copies and which are the bad copies? Again, 
Very good question. Will depend on who you ask. For me, the good copies are the pictures of Donald Trump that make me laugh, or the bad copies that are doing the good work that render him a laughable figure.、Mm. But to him, those are bad copies. Okay. It seems like, in fact, it's a lot about the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lot about the work. There's also, I think, the complication of appropriation and co-opting. For instance, with the Black Lives Matter protests, and there was a lot of discussion this summer about who should be leading those protests and how those issues are being talked about in the mainstream media, and who gets to be on the forefront of replicating these movements and leading them.、Hmm. And sometimes, even though the intention behind doing that work is good, its execution. Becomes、uh, counterproductive to the aims. Now that is not like an intentionally produced bad copy, but again, those glitches can create powerful tensions, especially when we're talking about large social movements. I guess the danger with any form of copying is like where things get out of hand. Yeah, that has the power to both really mess things up, but also create really new and powerful things. You could make bad copies of musical notes and rhythms and phrases and create really rad music. Yeah, yeah. There are no wrong notes in jazz, man.、Just、exactly. In in that kind of framework, there is no bad copy.、Mm. You know what is a bad copy? But still, they tell me that I sing out of tune. <laughs> All right. I think we have an idea of how Mimesis might save the world. Thank yeah, you so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was such a fun discussion. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope. You have a highly theoretical day.